Good morning. And happy new year. Happy new year. Amen. We made it. Another year. What a blessing that we are here in the year 2020. That sort of has a ring to it, doesn't it? 2020. We are here and we are able as a result of that to receive a new beginning. Now, we have a few children left this morning, but I'm sure you're not so far removed that you don't recall what it was like as a child. And you would have this thing that would happen when you would mess up, and we would call it a do-over. Anybody remember that when you were little and if you needed a fresh start, you would say, give me a do-over. You were playing kickball and you kind of kicked it off in the wrong direction. He said, I need a do-over. Not so much when you're an adult, right? You don't get too many do-overs. But I would like for us to consider what this new year and not only this new decade brings, but in the word of God even take a look at how the new year is God's way of providing a do-over for us. Amen? This isn't new. This is something that God has done from the beginning of time. We know even from the beginning that there has been generation after generation, whether it was Adam's generation or Noah's generation or even Abraham, God gives second chances. Perhaps it's time for you to reboot. Perhaps it's time for you, your church even, your community even, to have a reboot. So as we consider that this morning, as we consider whether we need this new beginning, I want us to explore one of the most basic questions in life. And I found it fascinating that as I looked at this and as we considered this, how it plays into what I have laid out before you so far. The most basic question of life is, why? Are we here? It's a question that at some point or another in our lives we begin to ponder. It's a question that if we pondered, sometimes we have the answer and sometimes we find ourselves just wondering what that answer is. But as we, as we consider that this morning, as we look at that from the word of God, I believe that it is going to help us to recognize and to seize the beginning that we have and to truly make this a blessed and prosperous new year. Anybody ready to take that journey this morning? Amen. I got somebody in the back. I got somebody right here. So let's go back to the beginning to look at this question. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. It's a little blurry, so I'm going to try to fix that for you. Genesis chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. 
If you need a Bible, if you just motion to one of the ushers, one will be provided for you. Anyone else need a Bible? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Let's stop right there for a moment. In the beginning. Many of you have read the book of Genesis before and so you may be tempted to go ahead but let's just stop there for one second and let's just process even though we may have read this many times before the profoundness of this one statement this first statement in the beginning God somebody say God created the heaven and the earth. Now, to really kind of get the full depth of this one profound scripture, we need to understand that this was not always something that we understood. How many of you remember being tortured in science class as they explained to you the Big Bang Theory? Oh, they didn't do that when y'all were growing up. Am I showing my age? <laughs> they didn't tell you about this big spontaneous combustion that created the heaven and the earth. There has been, since the beginning of time, the mistaken perception that the gods of all of these different religions that others have grabbed a hold to were created out of some type of bang, some type of explosion, something happened and the world was created and the gods were created from that. And we begin the book that we cling to. We begin the Bible with an understanding that we're not here that way. We're not here by happenstance. We're not here by an explosion. We're not here because something went wrong in the atmosphere and this and that. We're here out of God's divine plan. God created heaven and earth. It's a primary statement of authority and in setting of things in order. And when we understand, when we see how things are created, it helps us to understand how things are to be used. God created. So as God creates the heavens and the earth, it, it helps us to see that if God created this, if we begin to, and I'm gonna use this throughout today's sermon, so I, I hope you can visualize this with me. I meant to bring my glasses even because I want you to visualize how we see things and then just take a break and say, wait a minute. You know how sometimes people don't see things clearly and they have to grab their reading glasses? I want you to look at a scenario and then say, hold on, wait a minute. Let me grab my spiritual lenses. I don't know if I'm really seeing, it's a little blurry. I don't know if I'm really seeing this the way that God sees this. Let me grab 
my spiritual lenses and let me put them on and then, oh, okay, now I see. See, if we do that and we see what God is saying to us, even in this simple but profound scripture, then we begin to understand that this will define how we manage the most challenging seasons of our life. Did anybody have any challenging seasons in 2019? Whether we have hope or despair, whether we pray and persevere, or whether we give up and throw a pity party, whether we see the meaning beyond the seemingly random suffering in our lives, or whether we just think none of anything matters. It all has profound ramifications based off of how we see it. I'm really excited about where God's gonna take us on this journey this morning, and I'm really trying to pace myself so that I don't get ahead of where we're going. And so I want us to just pause and take a moment and pray that God will, will pour and download into you everything he desires for you to receive on this morning. Father, we just come right now and we thank you. We thank you for allowing us to see another year. We thank you for allowing us to be even here at this appointed hour in this appointed house to hear the appointed word that you have for us. God, I'm asking that you would grace the lips of the speaker that every word spoken will be spoken by the Holy Spirit and that it will be edifying to the listeners and the hearers on this morning and even forevermore. God, I thank you that as they hear this word, that they receive from you divine revelation and instruction on what it is they must do to excel. We count it as already done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so God created. He created. He created the world. I think we're done arguing about that. And it matters for one very important reason. Whatever we create, we care about. Have you thought about that? Whatever we create, we care about. Now, I understand that you haven't created a world, but have you created something before? Amen? Have you created a poem? Have you created a business plan? Maybe you're an excellent chef or a cook. Have you created a meal for your family? I'm thinking back to Thanksgiving dinner. Did you participate in any dishes? You know how we get, it's a little potluck. Everybody brought something. You created the macaroni and cheese and so you wanna force feed that particular dish down the throats of everyone that comes to that dinner. Did you, did you taste the macaroni and cheese? It's something about what we create. When we create something, we care about it. Whether it's your garden or whether it's the tool shed that you made in your house, there's something about our creations 
that attract our devotion and our attention. Men? And so when we understand that, we begin to recognize that if God created us, then he cares about us. Wow. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes because we're so disconnected from what we see with the spiritual lens and because we're so bombarded by what we see without that lens that we might forget. But this is our beginning. Our fi his fingerprints are on you. So when you create something, you leave a little piece, your DNA, it's, it's, it's on there. God's fingerprint is on us. And so as a result of that, we begin to see, even as we embrace our new beginning, even as we consider this new year, because I know some of us were kind of pushed away from that. We've had new year after new year, and nothing seems new. It seems like just a run over of before. And we've heard promise after promise, and yet everything remains the same. So for some of us, we feel like it's just another day on the calendar. Nothing special. I'm praying that as we begin to dissect what God is showing us on this morning, that we can grab a hold to a promise that he has given to us as we look through this spiritual lens. And so as we look at how God has created in Genesis 1-1, and as we really begin to process that anything that God creates, he cares about, then we start this message and we start this sermon and we start this year with an understanding that God created us and he cares about us. I want us to also consider something else. Look at the next I'm ready to look at the next scripture now. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Another translation said, hovers. The Spirit of God hovering over chaotic waters. Now think about that for a second. Have, as, as a mother, I know I can identify with hovering, <laughs> watching over. Think of that word for a second. Think of how when you hover over something, not only do you care about it, but you're intentional to watch what's happening. The scripture tells us that the spirit of God moved. This is our first introduction to the Holy Spirit. And I know if you've been with us for some time, we've 
in, in the months leading up to this, we've had intense and, and more detailed and more in-depth discussions about the Holy Spirit and the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. But for this morning and for the purpose of this sermon, I want you to just get this one takeaway. The job description that we've come so accustomed to, we see it again and introduced here in verse 2. And that is where there is chaos, the Holy Spirit brings order. Right now, there may be disorder even in your life. But the Holy Spirit is here to bring order. See, if we begin to understand again that God created, and when God created, there's, there's, he doesn't just create, but he provides provision to make sure that the thing that he creates does what he intended for it to do. So at our disposal, we have to make sure that we take advantage of what God has left for us to receive the abundant life. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is why it was interesting after service one week, I believe it was the week before last, one of the gentlemen came up to me afterwards and said, you know, how is it that you know what's going on in my life and how is it that the sermon is so directly related to what I need to hear? And I said, I have no idea what's going on in your life. But the Holy Spirit does. And it's the Holy Spirit's job that while I am ministering and bringing forth the message that God has said he wants to speak to his people, the Holy Spirit begins to give you the revelation of what that means for you. That's why one sermon can touch thousands of people and each person will walk away and say, that message was for me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so whatever is on your mind this morning is also in God's heart. Whatever that burden is that you walked in with this morning, whatever that question is, whatever that area of your mind that is just not allowing you to get rest because you just can't seem to figure out how are we going to fix this the Holy Spirit brings order where there's chaos call on the Holy Spirit somebody say Holy Spirit help me the Holy Spirit breathes and then not only that let's take a look at Genesis 1-3 Jesus created. Now, I remember when I first studied this, I was just, it's interesting how I've always shared with you that I'm the type of person that, and, and perhaps just because of the gift that, that God had for me, this is why I saw things this way. And maybe, maybe other people don't see it that way because they don't need to. Maybe you saw it this way as well. But I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I was truly perplexed when I got to this verse and it said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then, as I kept reading, and he was talking about us, and I was like, who is he talking to? 
And I don't know if you all have ever seen that or if you've ever even paid attention to that, but it perplexed me so that I went to my pastor and nobody could really give me any answers. And then the Holy Spirit began to minister to me and reveal to me. And it was mind boggling to me because here I was a baby Christian and in my mind, how can I know anything? How can I understand anything? How can I have a revelation? And the, the Lord began to show me that it comes from his spirit. And so as God reveals to you, even though you may be saved one day, you have to begin to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit that when God wants to speak, he may speak to you through the preacher. And he may speak directly to you through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't require an intermediary. He can speak directly to you because of who he is. And so as God began to speak to me and to reveal to me, and he began to show me that in the beginning, when he created the world, even at that time, he was there. So if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, but then if you also flip over to John chapter 1 and look at verses 1 through 3, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Are you catching this so far? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What are you saying, Pastor Alicia? Jesus was there in the beginning. Amen? Jesus, Paul even says in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, verse 16, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. So we see from both Genesis 1-3 and John 1-1 through 3 that Jesus is the embodied word of God, the logos. When God spoke, Jesus acted. He carried out the command of God. We can think of it this way as you saw him in the video when we started. God the Father is the architect who designed the plan. God the Son was the builder who created. And then God the Spirit acted as engineer to infuse this creation with life. Now, how does this matter to us today? As you know, I take great lengths in the preparation of every message to ensure that as we delve deep into the word of God and look at his spiritual truths, we also come away with an understanding of how that applies to us in this present time today. Well, I began to seek the Lord to find out more about this 2020. 
And it was interesting because I really had a desire in my heart because of tradition to do something on New Year's Eve. And, and so we were wrestling back and forth and I said, well, Lord, you need to show me what is your plan for Exhale Church? And as you know, God showed us that his plan was for us to have a Christmas Eve service instead. And so as we did that and we said, well, what am I going to do on New Year's Eve? It felt weird. I'm used to bringing New Year's Eve in at church and I just felt like, you know, what am I going to do if we don't have something at church? And at the time, I didn't know what later transpired, but God shared with me far in advance. He said, I need for you to rest and to seek me. See, we talked about how sometimes the year just blurs and it seems like it's a continuation. But I wonder if it sometimes is a result of us not pausing and taking an opportunity to reflect upon what has transpired and what we need to do spiritually to make adjustments as we go forward. You know how sometimes people, we go from a relationship to the next relationship, but we never take the time to process, wait, let's not just jump into something else. Let's take a look at what just happened. What happened in this relationship? Why didn't it work? Is there things about me that God is trying to change to bring him glory? And what is it that I need to do and grow in what area before I move forward again? So for me, God was very clear. I don't want you running from thing to thing, from event to event, from service to service, and not having the time to stop and to rest and to hear and to process and to assess. Do you do self-assessments? Do you know how valuable self-assessments are? <laughs> you know, it's interesting because there, there, there's two different ways we can look at assessments. If you've ever had a, a job or a position where you had a supervisor, it may be annoying to you that they want to talk to you on an annual basis about your job performance. It may be aggravating to you that they want to sit down and review how you have performed and evaluated how you have done in different areas. That may be one way to look at it. But if you want to go higher, if you want to advance, if you want to excel, that might be an opportunity for you so that you can sit down with them and they can share with you the areas in which you are strong and the areas in which they feel that you need to develop growth before they can take you up higher. And so some of us walk into it with a spirit of expectation, like, look, first of all, I know I'm coming out of here with a raise. Because I know I was on my job. I know I did what God expected me to do. I know I gave my absolute best. I didn't do this job as unto them. I did it as unto who? The Lord. So I walk into this evaluator with an expectation that I'm going to be blessed. I'm not dreading it. I'm not worried about it. And I walk into it with an expectation that if there are areas that I need to grow and improve, show me. I'm not intimidated. It's not an offense. I'm not a baby Christian. 
I'm not going to crawl away and cry because you told me I need to practice or I need to rehearse or I need to improve in some particular area. I want to be better. Show me what I need to do. And so as we do that, as we have that type of mentality, as we look at it in that way, and as we recognize that these are opportunities for us to grow, then we recognize that we can excel. I don't know about you, but that comes with spiritual maturity. We sometimes get stuck in this mindset where we don't want anybody to tell us anything. And then we wonder why we aren't able to advance, why 2019 looks exactly like 2018, and 2018 looked exactly like 2017. But if we take this moment of transition, if we take this moment and, and, and even think about the fast that we are endeavoring upon, and we say, God, no, I'm seeking you. I need to hear from you. I need you to show me. You created me for your glory. What are the ways in my, that my existence is bringing you glory? That's why I love when we have this time with the Lord and we have this communication with God. Because as I said earlier, then we don't have to rely upon hearing it from another human being before somebody else could even tell me, God has already told me. If that relationship is there. I was so excited. I got a picture from uh, one of the members of the church and they were showing me the, the billboard that they had put up and it was talking about new beginnings and it was like amazing. And I was thinking to myself, I didn't tell her to do that. Now normally I would have to say, can you please take down the Christmas decorations and can you put up the new year? I never opened my mouth because her instructions don't come from me, they come from the Lord. When you put yourself in a position that you say, God, I want to be used for your glory. I want, when I wake up in the morning, because you created me and because you saw fit that 2019 was not the end for me, I'm still here. It's 2020. You still have a purpose. You still have a plan for me. You still want to use me for your glory. And I wake up in the morning, I say, God, how can you be glorified in me today? So he may say, I just need you to call your cousin. You haven't heard from her in a while. and you, I know you think she's a strong one, but she's really going through. Call her. I just want you to call her and pray with her. He might say, I want you to write a book. I know you think nobody's going to read it, but the devil is speaking to you. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. There's somebody that needs to hear what I did for you. And I need you to begin to put that pen to paper. He may say to you, I want you to start writing a sermon. I know nobody asked you to preach yet, but I'm in control. I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to tell them that it's your time. And I don't want you all scrambling around like, oh, I'm not ready. Go ahead now. I'm telling you, get ready. Yeah. See, I don't know what it is for you. But in this new beginning, that means we're going to have to operate a little differently. I looked up the number 20. 
And I have to tell you, I didn't even realize. You know, we all know the number one, and we know number three, and we know the number five, grace, and you know, seven. You know, we know all the, the real popular numbers and the spiritual significance of them. But I had never looked or had awareness that there was a spiritual significance to the number 20. Anybody else? Is that news to everyone? The number 20, are y'all ready for this? Symbolizes the cycles of completeness. It's often connected, I want y'all to brace yourself for this, to a perfect period of waiting, labor, or suffering that is compared to a trial and rewarded. What's my evidence? Jacob waited 20 years to get his wives and property and his release from his father-in-law. Solomon was building a house for himself and God for a total of 20 years before he got a place to live. Jabin, the Canaan king, was oppressing Israel for 20 years until Deborah and Barak managed to release the people. Are y'all seeing a pattern? God told Abraham that if he finds at least 20 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he would not ruin them. So you see the number 20 is associated with a trial. I'm gonna ask you again. <laughs> Have you been through any trials? It's associated with a period of waiting. Have you been waiting on anything? Is there anything at all that just seems like it's just been held up? Is there anything at all that you just feel like it could have gotten done in, in, in 2019? I don't know what the hang up is. Like it should have been done. It should have been taken care of. It sh this should be over. We, even sh we shouldn't even still be talking about this. The number 20 is associated with the successful completion of that thing. The reward is generous and full of God's love. I can only imagine what 2020 would mean. Double portion. Amen? Amen? A double portion. A successful completion. I don't know about you, but I received that. I said, God, thank you for placing it upon my heart to just be still and to just wait until you spoke, until you began to show me, until you began to reveal some things. Because I, I, before this, I really just didn't understand why hasn't it happened yet? But this is your appointed time. Tell somebody, this is my appointed time. Now, I want to share something else with you. 
And this one is a little bit more contemporary. The American Optometric Association describes 2020 as normal vision acuity. That means that if they measure it at a distance of 20 feet, you can see clearly. Amen? So you can see clearly at 20 feet, which should normally be seen at that distance. Now, if you don't have 20-20, let's say if you have 2100 vision, it means that you must be as close as 20 feet to see what a person would normally be able to see from 100 feet. Are you following me? And so as I began to explore what does this mean for the body of Christ at this time on January 5th of 2020, I began to realize that this vision that I'm talking about, this period of completion, this period of completion of the trial and the tribulation, now we will be able to see clearly the things that God is revealing to us. See, sometimes you have to go through a thing before you understand a thing. <laughs> Anybody got kids in here? Have you ever said, don't touch that, that's, that's hot. Don't touch that, that's hot. They don't hear you. They touch it. Oh, this is hot. <laughs> I see clearly now. I understand now. And so now, because they have learned an established lesson, they are able to go to a new dimension because they understand some boundaries. They understand some things that they didn't understand before those trials, before those tribulations. I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us, there are some things that you went through. You wish you would not have gone through, but they were necessary for you to go through in order for you to go to where he's taking you next. It was necessary for you to improve your vision. It was necessary for you to be able to, as our worship leader said today, to know him as healer, to know him as provider, to know him in a new way. You didn't know him in that way. Your vision was limited. But because of what you experienced and what you go, went through, now you know him in a new way. And because of that, we're going to have vision, we're going to have insight, we're going to have ideas. God is going to be able to speak to us in a new way, but it's going to require something before we receive it. Did I say that slow enough? Because I want to make sure you caught that. It's going to require something of you before you receive it. Let me say this, God placed upon my heart to give you some um, opportunities to participate in this fast beyond what we originally presented. That's why I love the Holy Spirit. And that's why I love being submissive and not allowing pride to take root. Because I said, Daniel fast. God said, they could do whatever fast I want them to do. See, I came up with the Daniel fast because that's what what? We've always done. 
God said, if you're going to be able to flow with me in this season, we're not necessarily doing what we've always done. You got to be able to hear me and adjust and move with the Holy Spirit because you don't want what you've always gotten. So why would you do what you always do? They define insanity as doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, but expecting a different result. So it would be insane of us to keep just doing something over and over and over, but then expecting God to do something different. God is requiring up us if we want to receive what he is laying out before us this morning, that he is preparing for his children, because we already understand he created us. He desires to do things for us. He desires to give good and perfect gifts to his children. It's already available for you. What you've been waiting on, what you've been believing on, it's already provided. It is already there for you. It is not too hard for God. But there are things that he requires of us, and much of it requires for us is to seek him. It's that simple. And so he said, open this fast up. That might be res- too restrictive for somebody. And so they may say, I'm not going to do it because, you know, that, that, that seemed too hard for me. And they just don't do it at all. Start somewhere. So maybe your fast is, I love coffee. Maybe your fast is, for 21 days, I'm not going to have coffee. Somebody else can't look down on your fast and be like, well, I'm not eating any food for 21 days. Well, good for you. That's between you and God. That's the sacrifice that he asks of you. But if you not having a cup of coffee for 21 days is a sacrifice, watch how God honors what you've done unto him. This ain't about if other people aren't impressed with what you sacrificed. I remember in 2018, Pastor Charles and I, we did the Daniel fast, and it was so powerful. When we finished it, we said, you know what? I don't want to reintroduce me. So after the Daniel fast, we said, we're not going to, we're going to keep going. Um, We were believing for spiritual breakthrough for our family, and we said, we need, you know, it's not over. So the 21 days was a good start, but we're going to keep going. And I remember that after about, about six months, we were not eating meat. And it was getting good to me. I was like, I like this. I think I'm just going to become a, a, a vegetarian. And then the Holy Spirit said, well, then don't call it a fast. It's no longer a sacrifice to you. You just alerted me <laughs> that you not having meat ain't really about me. Now you like it. So you need to think of something else. So I had to go deeper. And I actually went because when the Holy Spirit revealed, I said, you're right. Now this is a lifestyle for me. For the first 21 days, it was a sacrifice. After three months, it became a lifestyle. So if I'm fasting for spiritual breakthrough, and I'm only giving you what I want to give, then I'm not really giving you a sacrifice. So for me and God, when we talked... That's why that coffee example came so easy to me. He's like, how about that coffee you like? I'm like, 
like, seriously? Can we talk about something else? <laughs> like, I could give up chocolate. You don't like chocolate. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll do the coffee. And my kids will tell you, that was tough. Every morning, I ask my husband, where's my coffee? Since we've been married. Every morning, he brings me a cup of coffee. It's, 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 it's part of my ritual. It's part of my tradition. It's part of what I do. What am I saying? Why does this matter to you? What is it for you that would be a sacrifice? What is it? And can you, for the next 21 days, whatever that it is, can you say, I want to make sure that this year I hear from you, Lord. I want to make sure that whatever adjustments you're trying to make, that I'm able to, to hear them clearly. Whatever it is you're trying to do in my life, I want to be a part of it. And I don't want my flesh to get in the way. I don't want my flesh making the decisions for me. I don't want my emotions making the decisions for me. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit so that I can get to my appointed end. You said you know the plans you have for me, plans for good and not for evil to bring me to an expected end. I want to get to that expected end. I don't want to get to where my emotions led me. I don't want to get to where my feelings led me. I don't want to look up a year from now and say that was not what God had for me and I missed it. God, speak to me. And if it means I got to take 21 days without a cup of coffee, I will do whatever I need to do to not spend this whole year out of your will. Am I speaking to somebody? So I, in the middle of the night, changed it. Poor announcer, I said, could you change the announcements? I got to make God, God said, got to make a change. So whatever the fast is, uh, just to throw one out, another one that I, I like is a social media fast. 21 days of just not getting on social media. No Facebook, no Instagram. No Snapchat, because that time, now I'm going to spend it in the Word. That time I'm normally scrolling, that mindless time that I'm normally, ooh, why did she wear that? You know how we get, it's hours later, we're like, ooh, I was supposed to start dinner. If I could reclaim that time and say, that's the time I'm going to spend with you. That's the time I'm going to pray. That's the time I'm going to intercede for my country. That's the time I'm going to intercede for our leaders. That's the time I'm going to intercede for our church. That's the time I'm going to intercede for my family. I'm going to reclaim that time. Whatever God tells you to do, this is between you and your God. All I want to do it's persuade you to spend some time with him. Now, as I close, let me tell you what this is going to do. Remember how at the beginning of the sermon I talked to you about these reading glasses and how you have to put on these spiritual lenses? Um, and as I spent time in prayer, I realized that 
as I always say, these are not things you can pick up at Walmart. These spiritual lenses that I'm talking about, they come and they become available to you through spending time with God, spending time in prayer, spending time in fasting, spending time in his word. You begin to see things differently and it matters. Tell somebody it matters. So I want to read something to you real quick. I'm going to go through it quickly so we can close. But I've got to leave you with this example for you to be able to see. And you can go home and marinate and study and look at it more since I'm going to go through it so quickly. But I want you to see the benefit of the change that I'm asking you to make. So I'm going to read to you in your hearing 1 Samuel chapter 13, several verses, quickly. And then I want you to tell me what you see. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Bethavan. If you were Saul or a part of his army, do you believe you would have been seeing obstacles or opportunities? Let me ask you that. Obstacles? 3,000 chariots? 6,000 charioteers? And as many warriors as the grains of sea on the seashore? What's that sound like? Sounds like an obstacle, right? Sounds like a problem on your hands, right? The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Now, I don't have as much time to go into detail as I would like, but let's just see how familiar you are with how things were done at this time. Should Saul have been sacrificing an offering to anybody? <laughs> no. That was the role of the priest, not the role of the king. But because he was in such a dire circumstance, his fear was so overwhelming that even though he understood this was a boundary he was not permitted to cross, it was better for him to disobey God than to put himself in harm's way because in his mind, if I leave up out of here, we got all, we're surrounded everywhere. If I move, I may be killed. So it'll be better for me if I just disobey than if I do what God is telling me to do in the face of such opposition. Okay, all of us are looking like that doesn't sound like a good idea. Let's see how this turns out. 
Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me. And you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. And I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Stop right there for a second. You see, when we don't see things the way that God sees things, it causes us to act inconsistent with the way that God wants us to act. It causes us to do inconsistent with what God wants us to do. And if you're real spiritually mature, you'll pull one like Saul and then try to bootstrap it to the scripture and make that your explanation for why you're disobeying the word of God. But it's still disobedience. And it's a disobedience that arises out of, well, I don't see no other way. See, I think we don't need a whole lot of examples on this because I believe by faith you know exactly where those areas are in our lives. You know, it's not enough money in this bank, but I'm just going to write a faith check and I'm just going to believe by faith that before they cash it, where is it that when God has already given us the parameters, but because we can't see what God sees, then we make mistakes by taking movements and we go in directions and we do things that he has not yet told us to do. Samuel was on his way. See, I know that bugs the living life out of some people, but I have made up my mind after walking with God for so long and making enough of those mistakes that I'm just not going to move. And I know you might be like, well, pastor, well, what's going on? What you going to do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing until God speaks until God provides because if I get to moving in my flesh and I get to well you know what God ain't here yet so let's just let's just move this over here and let's just no 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 that will cause you to lose everything so you think you might just save something and then you've lost everything out of your disobedience so then let's look real quick so that you can see how God wants us to do it look at how his son handles it. First Samuel 13, 22. Samuel then left Gilgal and went on his way, but the rest of the troops went with Saul to meet the army. They went up from the Gilgal to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. When Saul counted the men who were still with him, he found only 600 left. Wow. Y'all, he got 600 people left. 
There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them uh, to fear, for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So on the day of battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. Okay, so those are the odds. There's only 600 people and only two people have a spear. <laughs> Can you imagine going into battle and ain't nobody got a weapon? How you gonna go into battle and ain't nobody got a weapon? So these are the odds, and this is why they see it as hopeless. And this is why we see things as hopeless. We see what we can see with our natural eyes, and in our natural eyes, it looks hopeless. It looks like there's no way. It looks like it can't happen. It's not going to happen. But here's the challenge for 2020. Here is the challenge for the new vision that we are putting on with our spiritual eyes. First Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, it says, One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on. On, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outposts. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped in on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah the priest who was wearing the ephod, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitab, the son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served as Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sina. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Keep going. And then he said in verse 6, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. How do you see the situation? Same exact odds. Same exact situation. But look at how Jonathan sees it. He says... Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle where we only got two swords. He can win a battle when we don't have enough money. He can win a battle when the doctors are telling us that there's no way. God can do what you can't do. I'm going to go ahead in the spirit of the Lord. And then it goes on to say in verse 7 through 16. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. 
Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. Saul's lookouts in Gibeah and Benjamin saw a strange sight. The vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. Tell somebody, don't mess with my God. Don't mess with my God. In 2020, I'm going to see God. In 2020, I'm not going to see the obstacles. I am determined I am going to turn down my plate. I am determined I'm going to get in his face. I am determined I'm going to get in my word. I am determined that in the next 21 days, I might go into this thing like a little kitten, but I'm coming out as a lion because I know whose God I am, who I, whose God I serve. My God is able. He can do exceedingly and abundantly above all I ask or even think to ask. I don't care what the obstacles look like. I I don't care how many people are against me. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care what they declare. I don't care what position they have. I don't care what authority they have. I don't care how outnumbered I am. If my God is with me, who can be against me? Come on, somebody say, who can be against me? God is able. And this is the year that I'm going to stop living beneath my knees. This is the year that I'm going to start believing that God is able not just to do what he did in the Bible, but to do it in my life. This is the year that I am going to see the abundant provision. We're not just going to say have a blessed and prosperous new year and the year is over and it looked just like it did last year. This is the year I declare and decree that for me and my house, we will experience the blessings of God. For my church, we will experience what God wants to do. For my country, we will be blessed. We will be protected. There will be no war. For what we are doing, we're going to stand on the promises of God. And we will not fear and we will not tremble. We will believe that our God is able. Do I have any witnesses this morning? Come and pray with me. God, I thank you. I thank you this morning. For the boldness that you've placed in our spirits to just believe you once again. I don't care how many times we've been knocked down. I don't care how many times we've faced um, disappointment. I thank you, Lord, that this is the year 2020. And I thank you that because of that, God, that you have promises of a new beginning for us. I thank you, Father God, that this number symbolized the end of a trial. And I thank you, Father God, we have passed our test. We have passed our trial and that this is the year of increase for us. This is the year of a double portion of increase for us. I thank you, Father God, that by our faith, we will see with new spiritual lenses everything that you have laid before us. And we will go forth and we will possess the land. We will go forth and we will possess everything that you have for us. I thank you, Father God, we will walk and we will go forward boldly in our ministry. I think our ministries will go higher. I think our families, our marriages, our careers, our everything that we put our hands to for your glory, Father God. I thank you that increase is coming. And we give you and you alone the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.